0: On your mobile, on your Wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is a Wednesday morning and uh, in fact it's uh, Prime Minister's questions coming up a little bit later on today. And the day I suspect, however, uh, is going to be dominated by one story and one story alone today. And that will be the decision that is going to be made imminently uh, in the Supreme Court about Shemima Begin. Shemima Begin, of course, is the woman uh, who left this country, left these shores at the age of 15 uh, to go and join ISIS. Uh, she became an ISIS bride. You know the story. Uh, we will read it for you later on. Uh, She came from uh, a Bangladeshi family who uh, moved to this country before she was born. She was born in this country. Some people believe that makes her a British citizen. Uh, The the, the decision that will be made this morning uh, will decide whether or not she has the right to come back to this country, whether she has the right to be a British citizen, uh, despite the fact that it was stripped from her uh, by the Home Secretary of the time uh, some years ago. This is an appeal process that she's going through. We will bring you that decision as soon as we have it. Uh, We understand it Underway uh, very very shortly, if not uh, already, uh, there will be a judgment. There will be a ruling made, and we will tell you whether she's going to be allowed to come back. My personal belief is I don't think she should. Uh, other people disagree with me. Uh, other people believe, as Julie Hartley Brewer does, that she is ostensibly our problem. But we will take your views on it, of course, as well. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. We'll bring it out as soon as we have it. Kate O'Hear is here with us as well. Uh, we'll talk to her about what's going on in Northern Ireland, what the Brexit deal is actually going to end up being. Is Rishi Sunak selling? Britain down the river to Ursula von der Leyen and the rest of the cronies in the European Union. We'll also talk about this shortage of tomatoes and cucumbers and all the rest of it, which we are apparently suffering, uh, if you believe the Ramonas, as a result of Brexit. It's got absolutely nothing to do with Brexit, everything to do with the weather, everything to do with the cost of energy and everything, in fact, to do uh, with this kind of mad dash for net zero. If you really want to blame it on something, blame it on that. But don't blame it, please, on Brexit, because that would be entirely wrong. 0344 499 1000. Peter Cardwell will be here uh, with Prime Minister's questions a little, little bit later on uh, in the day, after midday, of course. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. We might talk a bit about Harry and Meghan as well. This is Talk TV. Welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham, the only place to get sane, coverage of every single issue that there is in the world at the moment. We cover it from internationally, uh, as we did yesterday with Vladimir Putin's speech and Joe Biden's speech in Warsaw. Uh, and of course, everything else in between. Kate Hurry is here with us. Kate, very good morning to you. Good morning. Um, plenty to talk about this morning. I mean, we are, as we, as we wait for this verdict on Shemima Begum, it's a, an appeal, I understand, from her and her lawyers to, to try and get uh, permission to come back to this country. I'm not quite sure to do what or to stand trial or anything like that, but um, what's your view on whether we should be taking her back or whether we should leave her where she is?
2: Well, I'm I'm pretty clear that, uh, you know, she gave up any uh, uh, attempt to be British when she left and went off to kill people yeah. basically yeah. whatever whatever they say she was involved she must have known what's going on um and you know she's as my mum would have said she's made her bed she should lie in it and I, you know i i feel the worry is that if she comes back for me will be that she will become a superstar you yeah. know, she'll be one of these people that all the media will want to talk to her she will get make herself lots of money she's reinvented herself mm. now as a glamour almost glamorous yes so i i but my instinct and i may be wrong is that the court will allow her back in yeah because there's
1: something of the sort of patty hearst about her isn't there i know that for younger viewers they uh, they might remember who that is but but she was a very wealthy american sort of heiress if you like from the hearst foundation the family that, that owns loads and loads of newspapers and media in america and she went off and joined um uh, this sort of vaguely, Badder Me- yeah, the Bader Meinhof. Yeah, Meinhof. But also, was she not involved with the Black Panthers at one point as well? That she was involved in some kind of weird Californian kind of sort of civil disobedience yeah. terrorist organisation, um, and she was pictured carrying guns and that. And she became this very glamorous figure, didn't she?
2: And then and I think she wrote a book in the end and all of that. So yes. I don't know. I, I mean, we have this sort of it's a sort of British thing about being being kind isn't it and being you know morally that you know we shouldn't be deserting yes this, this poor well we have a sort of a section
1: of society who believes that I'm not sure everybody actually does
2: yeah she, you know she she was young when she went but she was not much off the age that we get all these people clamoring for people to have a vote at and at 16 uh, and yet they still try to say that she didn't really know what she was doing. Um, but, you know, the pictures of them leaving, if you remember, there were pictures of them actually leaving. And, and um, she looked, you know, she looked pretty much as if she knew what she was doing. Yeah.
1: I mean, she looks very glamorous, considering that she's supposedly in the refugee camp in the sort of Syrian-Iraq border, which you wouldn't <laughs> have thought, normally speaking, would allow you to kind of, you know, brush up like that,
3: really.
2: No, I, I, I it's, it's all a bit of a... a there's certainly now, I think... People who are, um, who've cottoned on to her as an, as, as an opportunity to get their own uh, message across. And I, 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 I've, I think it would be hugely controversial if she is allowed back, uh, much more so than if she is, if the appeal court says she can't come back. Yes. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, I mean, apparently the, the, the circumstances I'm led to believe are these. Um, she did not apply for Bangladeshi citizenship, has never been a citizen of Bangladesh, even though I believe her father was mm-hmm. um, or may Therefore well she's still stateless. be. So at the moment she was supposed to have, if she wanted to apply for uh, Bangladeshi citizenship, she should have done so by the time she was 21. She didn't do that. Um, and so now she is effectively stateless. And according to the laws, as they've been explained to me, um, no British government can make somebody stateless. But we'll see
4: whether this well, is a second case. Well, if she is back, I mean,
2: she needs to be uh, almost arrested on arrival. Well, you would think so. Uh, arrested on arrival and um, then charged mm. with... Um, I mean, I know it's, the problem is it's going to be extremely difficult for our courts to get evidence, uh, you know, that proves she did some of the things that are alleged she's done. But I don't think she should be allowed to walk back in and simply walk into the studios and become a... Uh, you know, a personality. Yes, she I should mean, be arrested. I on think, arrival. under the
1: circumstances, if she was to be brought back, she would have to stand trial because she certainly admitted to committing all sorts mm-hmm. of uh, criminal acts, including uh, helping in the killing of of various individuals and also helping to sew, I believe, you know, suicide vests onto terrorists, potential terrorists. So, I mean, she did mm-hmm. take part. In, and also, it's illegal, as far as I know, to join a prescribed terrorist organisation. Well, it is a prescribed terrorist organisation. So even, ter- so yeah. even no. if it, it's only that, she has to stand trial for that.
2: So, I mean, we'll see if, if Suella Bravham and the Home Secretary meets her at the um, mm. at the terminal. And, well, I mean, uh, the best uh, thing arrested. for her to
1: do, I suppose, you might say, with tongue firmly in cheek, is to just jump on a dinghy in northern France and oh. come into Dover, um, <laughs> and in which case nobody would care what she'd done.
2: No, well, that's what I told a friend of mine who was coming over recently uh, and from Ghana and didn't get their, um, their visa. Mm. And I said, well, it's just... You just go to France, yeah. And find that, you know, pay that amount and get it Well, there will on. be. I
1: mean, as crazy as that sounds, there will be people who who actually are having these conversations mm-hmm. in all parts of the world, just going, "Well, just get yourself to Britain yeah, uh, on ba- a dinghy," because there's no way to stop.
2: I'm you. amazed they haven't started to use speedboats. You know. Mm speed it up a bit well more. i mean you pay I, extra and you get yeah. there quicker well i mean these you boats the they're currently quicker. using
1: which, which are rather laughably described as small boats are not very small you know they've got like 50 people on them they're huge things and yeah. they go quite quickly and they're pretty seaworthy you know mm-hmm. you could invade a country uh, if you wanted with enough of these boats, so we'll come back to that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the other sort of Ramonary thing that's been going on in the last twenty-four hours or so. I was listening for my sins to uh, PM <laughs> yesterday on there oh, because I tend to flip around when I'm in the car. Yeah. Um, and you should have heard the BBC uh, interviewer. So desperate was he to blame uh, the tomato shortage on Brexit, he just kept asking. He got guest after guest after guest, kept saying things like well, it's not as bad as this in the rest of Europe, is it? And they kept saying, well, actually, it is. Um, yeah. But in some parts of Europe, uh, you pay more for your vegetables because they grow them at home, yeah. and they pay more because uh, they're currently using more electricity, which is more expensive. In this country, they've decided not to do that. But, I mean, it just the same question kept coming up. But obviously, it's something to do with Brexit. Are you sure Brexit's not involved? Yeah. And it really isn't.
2: Well, I'm afraid that's the uh, that's power for the BBC, which is why you know more people and more people are watching um and listening to programmes like this and, and, and other media, um, it's clearly nothing to do with us leaving the European Union. No. It's clearly very much to do with, with the climate, with the energy costs, with all of those issues that are affecting so much else in, in the yeah. country. But, you know, also, I think we've got to, and I've said this before, we've got to stop expecting in a country like the United Kingdom, where our climate is in a particular, we are a particular climate, mm. whether it's that we have to get Every type of vegetable and fruit from all over the world, all year round. We didn't do that when I was young. No, you knew that you couldn't get that because, or if you you might have been able to if you'd spent a huge amount of money, but the reality was, you know, there were seasonal things, and we've got we've lost our, our, um, you know, we've lost the seasons. We don't think anymore in seasons. We Mm. think of everything being available all year round and maybe people have to start realising I I
1: mean I I say this about many things is that we've now become such a society that's dependent upon getting everything instantly you know like people now will complain if they've ordered something on Amazon it doesn't turn up the next day Mm. I mean you know I know it's ridiculous to talk about when you and I were young, but, you know, you didn't send off the things. If you did send off for something, you'd probably wait about a month and a half for it to show up, you know. we uh, had to save up, we had to get something on HP or, you know. But there wasn't this kind of instant society that we now have where everything is demand. you know. Some people are now moaning that they don't get it the same day.
2: Yeah, but the other thing that I think is happening is farmers are now being, uh, well, forced in the sense that they're being paid to actually take land out of Growing things and mm. and you know for the environmental reasons. Now, clearly, it's great that farmers. Do- need to look after mm. the land and, and ensure that, you know, they can manage and coordinate working with yes. birds and I mean, animals and all that. Let the... me just
1: interrupt you, we've got so breaking news, oh, Shemima because... Begum uh, has lost her appeal oh. against the decision to remove her British citizenship, so that means she won't be coming back. Ah, that so that means was wrong. She... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it means, well, well, I mean, so were all the legal experts who said, well, we can't do this, well, apparently we can do it, so wonder, and yeah. we have done it.
2: It'll be very interesting to read the detail of what mm. they say, That so it's actually been announced now, she's not. So it's literally mm-hmm.
1: just announced at this moment, um, Shemima Begum 23-year-old who left East London aged 15 to join the Islamic State in Syria has lost her appeal against the decision to remove her British citizenship. So, unless she... She may well take it to European court, I suppose, but...
2: Unless we're out of it before. Uh, well. <laughs> That's but another yeah, thing. I mean, she... Um, th- you know, the repercussions, if she had been allowed in, would have meant open door, really, for all sorts of other... I'm sure there are other people who could now, t- would have started mm. to try and clear. Well, it. I think
1: there are people who have already been allowed back in. I mean, that's part of the problem, I think, part of the confusion. They may not have done things as badly as she did them, mm-hmm. but I think there's at least 200 or more um, girls who have come back from um, being involved with, with ISIS in some way, shape or mm. form. So it's a very murky kind of area, but I think I it's the right decision. I can just
2: imagine what's going to happen in the House of Lords later today. There'll be some statement on this and all the... Um, the liberal... All the usual suspects. ...will come out saying how shocking this is.
1: And that we that we have somehow, you know, let down the human rights yes. of this country. The moral it's equipment. a shameful day, like the way that they all attacked sort Braverman <laughs> when she started talking about this invasion of people that was coming yeah. across the channel. So just once more for you, if you did not hear it, Shemaima Begum, 23-year-old who left East London aged 15 to join Islamic State in Syria has lost her appeal against the decision to remove her British citizenship. So she will not be back in this country will remains to be seen whether she's going to seek an appeal uh, we're talking to kate hoey we were talking about uh, farming and agriculture and food we'll come back to that we've also got to talk still about what is going on in northern ireland what is actually being discussed between rishi sunak and the european union is he going to sell Brexiteers tears down the river uh, he better not would be my suggestion this is talk tv
0: online on dab plus talk radio and talk tv
1: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Kate Hoey is here, uh, fresh from the House of Lords, an unaffiliated peer. You'll be going down there later on, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were saying, there'll be plenty of uh, gnashing of teeth, no doubt, <laughs> going on from the Liberal uh, lot down there about Shemima Bagan. But the, uh, the decision, as we said just before the break there, is that she has lost her appeal, so she will not be returning to this country as a British citizen. Uh, we'll find out whether that changes, uh, whether she can appeal any further to a European court. But we were talking just before that broke, Kate, about the sort of agriculture business and how, you know, it's very difficult. The reason why apparently British farmers are not producing their tomatoes at this time of year is because the energy costs are so high that they don't want to switch on, you know, the lights and the power to warm everything up so the greenhouses can be uh, suitable places to grow things. And, you know, that should tell us, should it not, that something has to be done about these prices. It's just ludicrous. I mean, I got one the other day. For a one-bedroom flat in uh, London, which used my electricity bill used to be something like 170 pounds, 466 quid, mm-hmm. for a quarter, and it's just ridiculous. You know, yeah. people are just—I mean, it's laughable, isn't it?
2: Well, I mean, and look how much of that bill, of your bill, is going on to. Um... To, you know the aspects of climate change yes. isn't it I to mean, subsidize that's, that's the bit, green levies
1: yeah. and to pay for failed companies yeah. i don't understand why we're yeah. paying for companies that have failed
2: i i kind of detect a, a mood change too now amongst people about the whole issue of net zero you know that they are beginning to to, to understand that net zero even if we were to go to net zero is not going to change yeah. the the world's uh, a situation yeah. on climate change and that really um, our, our our country seems to be wanting to be in the lead on this and all it's doing is making poorer people, indeed all of us, pay more for something yeah. that we should be having as a kind of basic yeah. right in- And I've
1: had several arguments in the recent sort of last few weeks with people uh, because I've said, well hang on a minute, now that the price of gas is coming back down, the wholesale price is lower than it was even a year ago um why when is that going to be passed on to us and they, they keep coming up with these sort of convoluted arguments about well you know the system doesn't work like that it doesn't react as quickly as that it's going to be probably six months before that filters through well why you know no. why can we not pay less why can this government not sort that out
2: well um <laughs> i think you need you need the energy <laughs> minister on here and uh, i don't suppose he would be able to give you much of an well, answer well now it's it.
1: grant shapps and i mean last time he came on uh, he said to me um don't you want to be the world leader in onshore wind? And no. I said to which I said no and clearly nobody had ever given him that answer before and he was completely stunned. <laughs> I said no I don't. Well actually. you see I
2: think I think that's what more people have to sort of speak out and speak back because they have been able to just because there's been a unity of the parties on this uh, all the political parties the three major you know major on this that this is this is something we can all agree on. Mm. And actually the public is not anywhere near no. where the three parties are up. Not
1: at all and I think it's shown how far apart politicians and the real world have become because that's really where we are now isn't it after mm-hmm. Covid, after this net zero kind of um, uh, obsession that they all seem to have and everyone has it it's mm-hmm. not as if you can pick some organisation that doesn't apart from maybe the reform party um, it's just you know people are shaking their heads and going when is it all going to end?
2: Well there's been a, there's always been cynicism about politics and politicians but I've never seen it so deep At the moment, Mm. uh, because, you know, I remember after after we left the European Union, there was a real feeling out there amongst, you know, people who didn't particularly vote care too much, but had voted to leave, got what they had voted for and thought this really is changing things. And it's kind of all just it's all just gone, withered gone away, away, hasn't it? Yeah, I remember that.
1: there was there was very much a feeling of a new beginning. It was yeah. a bit like when Tony Blair went into Downing Street, yeah. you know, there yeah. was this sort of feeling of renewal and yeah. something different and new and young children and all of that. And the same with Brexit. Um but it just didn't get a chance really. No,
2: and now we've got a, a Prime Minister who in theory was voted to leave but has really, along with his Chancellor, done absolutely nothing so mm. far to actually prove no. that he... Understands the benefits that could come to this And country. we're hearing
1: people like James Cleverly, who was supposed to be a strong kind of Brexiteer, saying things like, well, of course, things have changed a bit since 2016 and we can now do a different deal with uh, the EU over Northern Ireland. Well, no, I don't think you can. I mean, you know, it's not for watering it down, is it?
2: No, well, we're, you know, we're in this media hype at the moment about there being a, a deal on the table and huge pressure on unionism and particularly Sir Geoffrey, Donaldson to yeah. accept it. I mean, the Times had an editorial the other day, which I thought was just shocking. Basically, saying you know, ignore the unionists, ignore yeah. that, go ahead with it. This was the Sunday nice Times, it, the who, who basically said yeah. that nobody's
1: going to really like it, but you know, you know let's just get on. We've with got it.
2: to do this, and it's this. It it gets back ultimately. The big word is sovereignty. Mm. You know, are we actually in charge of our own country, and we're not no. because the European Union is still running a part of a part of. The United Kingdom, and will continue to do so, not just on trading rules, mm. but on things to do with the way that that anyone in Northern Ireland is consulted about yeah. what's going to happen. So Rishi Sunak has a, you know, he has a choice to make. He can go ahead, and he may well do it next week. Mm. I don't think he's going to do it this week now, come up with some kind of um, agreement. But But nobody has seen anything in writing.
1: Because again, a bit like his plans to reduce inflation, even way back in the summer when he was running against Liz Truss, I remember having a couple of his supporters on and I said, look, he keeps talking about reducing inflation. but He doesn't say how he's going to do it. Mm. And if he doesn't say how he's going to do it, um, and he really still hasn't, Mm. um, he's just waiting for it to kind of happen automatically. Yeah,
2: and you know, if he doesn't, I mean, if he goes ahead in the budget, and puts up corporation tax to 25%, mm. that is basically uh, a, a, an action that is so against the concept of what Brexit was going to do yes. to our country. Because why would any big business, and we saw it there recently with AstraZeneca deciding to go to the Republic of Ireland, mm. where corporation tax is 12.5%. Yes.
1: Deliberately low because Deliberately they want to attract low. businesses.
2: And we have... Ju- I, I, mean, I, I mean, I'm not... Uh, you know, I'd, of course, chancellors aren't necessarily economists either, but um, I just don't understand. It seems such common sense mm. that we, of course, we want to get inflation down, but surely we want to get investment in the country and we want businesses to be. Able to get out there and do what they do best, mm. and they don't do that if they're being dictated to by
1: no, exactly. by governments. And I don't see how inflation comes down because you've put taxes up. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to any economist. I don't think. And, and the idea that that they are even controlling inflation, mm. I think, is for the birds because mm. inflation is already coming down. It looks like it's already peaked. It looks like it's going to be below ten percent the next mm. time it's measured. But, um, you know, and it will take a while to get to four percent. But they believe the Bank of England that it gets to four percent by the yeah. end of this year.
2: But you know, the message just. On, on on the whole Northern Ireland protocol thing, the bottom line is unless Northern Ireland at the end is left part integral, fully integrated mm. part of the United Kingdom, we left as one country, which supposedly left as the United Kingdom uh, then I, the, I don't think there'll be devolution in Northern Ireland, it no. won't come back, I think the, the uh, Rishi Sunak risks really having a split again in his party and absolutely putting a complete Um, no chance of keeping the red wall seats. And if he really wanted to keep those red wall seats, he would use the protocol now and the the, the, um, negotiations with the EU to simply say to the European Union, sorry, we made a mistake. It should not have been signed. It wasn't meant to be permanent. We now are going to change it. Mm. Because they've
1: certainly done that in other areas before. And there's absolutely no reasonable reason why Northern Ireland should be treated differently to every other part of the, U, of the UK. No, and, should, and the Belfast s-
2: Agreement has already been broken by the fact that there's the cross-community the cross mm. consent has gone um, and of course they're all desperate to get this sorted because they want President Biden to come oh, in yeah, Yipro. because they
1: love him coming and, to celebrate. And who cares? And he, I know. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. He has no business getting involved. No. He has no business sticking his nose in. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. But what about Boris Johnson? Because he's mm. kind of flirting with the outskirts of, of the leadership again. Yeah. Um, he's been making noises about Ukraine. He's been making noises about uh, Brexit. Yeah. But, I mean, you have to say he is to some extent to blame for all this. Oh, well, he, nonsense, I mean,
2: he, he signed up to it all because he wanted to get over the line on getting a withdrawal agreement. Mm but he did know that it wasn't... I mean, I think he genuinely knew that it that it couldn't last, right. but we'll sort that out later. That's what I think the, he was yeah. doing, yeah. But uh, And, of course, a lot of the the European Research Group MPs who voted for it also did, did the same. But I think now they realise... W- I went to the ERG meeting last night, which was held with Geoffrey Donaldson, and it was very clear there that they realise now this is the opportunity mm. to actually get this right, and there's no point having a, a deal that is kind of um, a little bit of movement, because in two or three months' time, six months' time, we'll be back to another another problem. Medicines hasn't been sorted out. All sorts of things haven't right. been sorted out. So anyway, but as far as Boris is concerned, I mean, Boris is going to spend, obviously, I think the next year making a lot of money yes. because he wants to get all his he clearly needs debts, a lot but of he money. needs a lot of money. Yeah. And um, he's 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 going to bide his time and wait and see what happens um but I think there's more and more MPs who probably are beginning to just slight have that slight little tinge of thinking, maybe we shouldn't have just rushed in. Yes, to get well, it's the them.
1: old story, isn't it? Even after Panic. Tony Blair went, um, you know, suddenly Gordon <laughs> Brown was in charge, and people were going, oh "God, is that, is that what, we've, <laughs> we, is that what we're bad. left with?" You know. And then when you hear Boris Johnson in, in Parliament the other day speaking, you think, "Wow, he's really yeah, quite good at that." Yeah, he is. Um, he even is. you know, whether you like you everything never about ever him or not. can
2: write off Boris, no. and I don't think anyone should. Uh, even though I know, you know, I know his faults, and I'm, mm. I, I'm, I'm, prepared to, to, you know, to be critical. But I, I do think he's got something that no other yeah. Conservative politician. I think has. that's
1: right. And all the people that support him and always have supported him are in that same boat. Mm. I think they know that he's not perfect. He's not, you know, a flawless individual. Mm. However, he does have certain charms and, and and talents that very few other people have. Kate, great <laughs> to see you, uh, Baroness Kate Hurry. There, back in the House of Lords later on to argue uh, about the Shemima Begum case. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that. Uh, coming up very shortly also uh, we'll be asking you what's going on in your local supermarket because i'm not sure like all shortages and all stories about shortages that there is actually a shortage i mean i've got some tomatoes at home if you want to borrow one this is talk tv
0: the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio
1: there are certain supermarkets that have got plenty of stuff other supermarkets that don't <clears throat> Let's talk to um, Oliver Whitfield-Mijacic, Talk TV's reporter. He's down uh, in South London, Camberwell to be precise, outside of Morrison's. Oliver, a very good morning to you.
5: Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah,
1: very well indeed. What's the? Uh, is there a mad stampede going on for the uh, fruit and veg aisles at the moment?
5: There is actually shortages inside this shop. When you walk inside, the first thing you come to is the fruit and veg section. And you can see there isn't a whole lot of tomatoes left. There's barely any peppers left cucumbers also in short supply so when you walk in you do see those empty shelves all being blamed on the extreme weather in parts of northern Africa and Spain that is important to us at this time of year because obviously we don't really grow that much around this time we depend on those countries to get our imports from but the problems are also back home here in Britain we've heard how huge energy costs means that farmers who use those big greenhouses which need to be heated in order to promote plant growth, they are scaling back on bringing forward those sorts of uh, heating around, the, around their premises because it's just too expensive. Mm. So there is shortages. The supermarkets are saying it could last a few weeks, but they're urging people not to panic by.
1: Yes, I mean, it's not really a good idea to panic buy fruit and veg, is it? Because you can't really uh, store it very well. Because if you buy sort of, you know, shed load of tomatoes uh, after about a week, they're going to start going off.
5: Yeah, well, that's, that's the problem, <laughs> isn't it? Unless you start pickling. But don't know if you've ever tried to pickle a tomato I before. haven't, I no. don't think it's going to go very well. No,
1: but it's a good idea, though. I like the, I like, I like the idea.
5: Yeah, well, let's see. Maybe we'll start a new trend here on Talk TV. Yes. We have heard, though, that the prices of wholesale things like tomatoes have doubled compared to last year. They're now worth around £14 a crate. Right. And when you look at peppers, those have gone up by around three times their usual price. Mm. Speaking this morning at the National Farmers Union Congress, we heard from the Environment Secretary, Therese Coffee saying how there will be an important summit later on to do, with food security we can expect that later this year she also hailed the role of british farmers saying that they play a vital role in keeping the country fed but british farmers are calling out to be included in a discount energy scheme which is currently geared towards more manufacturing-intensive industries, mm. they say if they could get a part of that, then they could fire up these greenhouses and get more British produce out onto the shelves.
1: Yes, I mean, it's obviously going to be one of these things that we watched for a while, but listening to all of the various arguments yesterday, it's very clear that it's very much weather-related uh, in the south of Spain and, and, and so much so, uh, similarly in, uh, in Morocco, apparently, where most of this stuff comes from. But I've also had a lot of people tweeting me this morning, uh, Oliver, saying that down in Kent, They've grown plenty of tomatoes um, and they've got surpluses down there. So if anybody's looking for a supply chain, they could go and get them. It's just that some of the supermarkets don't want to pay uh, the the more expensive prices for them.
5: Yeah, well, supermarkets have got very, very intricate supply chain systems. They've all got their own different suppliers. A lot of it comes from abroad because of how big the supermarkets are. Mm. The economies of scale mean that they've got to buy in huge amounts of bulk. However, going down my local high street, certainly the greengrocer there has got plenty of supply of tomatoes from various parts of the world that all look ripe, all look really tasty. But when you go down to your local supermarket or even down to your local greengrocer, you might start noticing those prices going up. I bought four beef tomatoes the other day. I mean, there were some sort of fancy one that my Mm. wife wanted ended up paying £4.50 for them. I know London's expensive. That is a lot of money for more than a pound
1: per tomato. That is a lot of money. You've obviously been paid far too well, uh, Oliver. We'll have to have words with the management. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Oliver Whitfield-Majic there uh, talking about, imagine paying £4.50 for uh, beef tomatoes. Incredible. Um, But listen, don't believe the hype is what I would say. Do you remember when we did shortage of the day uh, back in the days before Christmas? There was going to be turkey shortages. There was going to be chicken shortages. We did uh, all sorts of things that were supposedly running out this is supermarkets not being able to manage their supply chain it's as simple as that there are plenty of tomatoes in britain there are plenty of people growing tomatoes in britain in fact i want to hear from all of you out there to tell us what's happening on the streets i was in a supermarket uh, just at the weekend and they had loads of fruit and vegetables there was no shortages of anything and it was one of the big chains and it was also by the way rammed with people who were filled, uh, who were carrying filled baskets, filled shopping trolleys. I mean, this idea that, um, you know, there's some kind of a cost of living crisis going on when you can see people are spending loads of money uh, at the supermarket. And this was not in a wealthy area at all. Um, it was full of people who were clearly hard working people, but who didn't have an awful lot of money. But they were absolutely buying up the shop, incredible. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. 1000. The breaking news, of course, that we brought you just a little while ago. Shemima Begum has lost her appeal against the decision to remove her British citizenship, which means she will not be returning to these shores. An awful lot of people very pleased with that decision Uh, and thank goodness the Supreme Court has come to that conclusion. So she basically is a stateless individual and she will have to stay uh, where she is, which is in a refugee camp uh, somewhere in Syria. Let's talk to Rafe Heidel-Manku, historian, broadcaster and senior fellow at the New Culture Forum. Rafe, um, I think we're all dreading this going the wrong way and suddenly being responsible for this ghastly individual. Uh, Seemingly the Supreme Court has seen the light.
3: Yes, you know we've become so used to being uh, disappointed by yes. our uh, institutions these days that uh, uh, you know we were sort of w- worrying how this would go. But it's good to see this decision made. And in fact, on every step along this process, Shaima Begum has been thwarted by uh, by the courts and by the government. So we have to actually take our hats off there. The important thing also to note here is that there is a lot of information that we don't know, mm. stuff that is private uh, and only being released in these private uh, discussions. Uh, the security services still regarded Shaima Begum as a genuine security risk, and I think that is the one of the predominant factors behind this. Uh, behind this. And this has happened despite the media trying to rehabilitate Shemima Begum and turn her into some sort of reality TV celebrity. Yeah. We've seen these very soft articles about her in recent months. We've had the BBC giving her her own podcast. Uh, quite disgraceful, actually, yes. when you consider, when you consider that and how little attention has been given to the victims of ISIS right. to give one of the perpetrators of, the, of their cruelty. Uh, such a platform, is quite despicable. Well, so exactly. It's...
1: And also many of the people who sort of championed Shemaima talk about her being groomed practically, which was not something her, even her lawyers thought up until relatively recently. You know, she's previously uh, admitted to enjoying what she did. She's previously admitted to harming uh, all sorts of people who were uh, the victims of ISIS, who ended up dead. Uh, she's also responsible for the shaming uh, and the terrible treatment of some of the Yazidi women. Uh, she's championed by some feminists in this country, who don't seem to care about that, you know, I mean, I just think that uh, uh, she is somebody who has changed her mind so many times whenever it suited her in order to try and get her, her life back. And I mean, I don't think she deserves it.
3: You're absolutely right. And you know, people say, Oh, well, she was a young teenager when she went out there. Actually, in 2019, when she was first interviewed, first discovered in the, in the refugee camp, she was already 20 years old by that point. And she said she had no regrets about joining ISIS. Yeah. It was only once her British citizenship became uh, perilous uh, for her that she suddenly changed her tune yes. and adopted Western dress. So let's re- 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 remember that. Mm. And as you quite rightly say, to all those bleeding heart liberals out there who are upset by this injustice, you know, save your tears for those poor Yazidi women who yes. were enslaved, kept as sex slaves. Think about all of those people tortured, set on fire, beheaded. Let's be honest about what was going on in these places while she stood by. And think of all of their families mourning the loss of their dearly loved ones today. Those are the ones who we should be uh, reaching out to rather than someone like this.
1: Exactly right. And I I know you're not a lawyer, uh, Rafe, but is there a place for her to go after this? The Supreme Court uh, is obviously the highest court in the land in this country, but can she take this to Europe?
3: Uh, Well, no, I don't think she can take this to Europe, but it's important to remember that you can't take citizenship away from someone and leave them stateless. Yeah. Now, by virtue of her ancestry and her parents, she can actually claim, and she does have, by virtue of descent, uh, Bangladeshi citizenship. Mm. Uh, But the problem there is if she goes to Bangladesh, she will face the death penalty for her ISIS affiliations, uh, something which I think people here should actually Realise actually how what a light touch Britain is. Well, exactly, to other exactly.
1: And of course, we've also heard this morning that you know, if she wanted to, to have citizenship in Bangladesh, she should have applied by the time she was 21, and she's no longer uh, under that particular age. Um, but if she does remain stateless, then I guess she just has to stay in this refugee camp, does she?
3: Exactly. Um, you know, we'll go back, go to Syria if she can, if they'll have her there. I mean, this is it. She's stuck. You know, she's made her bed. And now, unfortunately, it's a refugee campbed, and she has to basically be happy and content. But it comes to a broader issue, because there are lots of people who went to Syria uh, with ISIS from Britain, extremists who were radicalized and went to fight there, who, don't, who only have British citizenship, uh, who, who have come back and pose a genuine security risk. Because, as I say, you cannot take away citizenship from people if they will be left stateless. It's an important part of the UN. Yeah. Now, I've previously argued that, you know, we have various types of British, British citizenship, one of which is British subject status or British overseas territory Mm -hmm. status even. Uh, So I think it would be worthwhile seeing whether all of these uh, people who've been engaged in terrorist activities and fighting in Syria for ISIS.
4: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work.
3: So that they, ha- they they retain British uh, uh, su- uh, subject status but don't have the right mm. of abode in the UK mm. and they'll be forced to stay on the continent or wherever they are.
1: Interesting. Terry in Ramsbottom says something interesting here. Shemima Begum isn't stateless; She's a citizen of Islamic State. If you can be a citizen of the EU, which isn't a country, then she can also be a citizen of Islamic State. I wonder if why we can make that argument.
4: <laughs> well,
3: that's a very good point. I think that would somehow um, <laughs> validate their claims to being in state, though. So I think it might they're... do. I suppose you
1: would have to be a bit careful. Yeah, the Levant or something like that. Rafe, very good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Rafe Heidel-Manku, uh, historian, broadcaster, senior fellow at the New Culture Forum there, giving his view uh, on the very sensible decision. Isn't it nice to say that the Supreme Court, the judiciary in this country, has actually got something right? They've made the right decision. They have denied uh, Shemima Begum the right to return to this country uh, and to, to have british citizenship they've said she cannot have it they have refused her appeal uh, and i say bloody well done this is talk tv
0: on your mobile on your wavelength talk radio and talk tv
1: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Wednesday. Prime Minister's Questions returns today, so we'll be going live uh, to the House of Commons at 12 o'clock midday. Uh, Between now and then, of course, though, we've got plenty still to talk about. Uh, Shemima Begum, uh, top of the list at the moment. She's been denied the right to British citizenship. The Supreme Court made an incredibly good decision for a change uh, today, just uh, about an hour ago, less than that, uh, in which they said that her appeal is to be denied. So she will not be coming back to this country. She will not become a British Citizen, she has lost her British citizenship whether she is stateless or not, and does not seem to bother uh, the Supreme Court. But lots of you have got plenty to say about it. We'll take your calls, of course, 0344. 0344- Coming up in this hour though we're going to talk uh, to Mike Neville who is of course a former police officer uh, a man that knows a thing or two about investigating missing persons reports investigating uh, murders and all the rest of it Uh, he's going to give us his view on what happened uh, up in Lancashire Lancashire police of course still very much under scrutiny two independent investigations ongoing they've referred themselves uh, to the police watchdog and this morning front page of The Sun uh, says this Nicola Cox failed my sister too and it's another family talking about how uh, their, uh, one of their members of the family disappeared uh, and they told the police and the police sort of botched that and she ended up committing suicide uh, partly due to the fact that the police didn't track her when they should have been able to do it. Uh, Mike's got a piece in the Sun today as well uh, in which he says in the headline at every stage it's been inept cops who have fueled the rumors about Nicola uh, and of course this is a Nicola bully case which has been a terrible terrible situation, not only for the family of Nicola, but also, of course, for uh, everybody uh, who cares about what the police do in this country. Mike, a very good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Thanks for joining us. We'll get on to Nicola Bully in the case up in Lancashire in a moment, but let's just mention uh, Shemima Begum first. I mean, I think unusually, the, the, the judiciary seems to have done the right thing today.
6: Yeah, it's quite amazing, isn't it? And yeah. I think people will be utterly shocked because most people would have thought they would have rolled over. I mean, we see all these documentaries where she's almost portrayed now as some kind of supermodel, yeah. let her back, she's all dolled up, let her back in the country. But I think what, what people will be thinking of, if we can deny her the right to be here, why are we letting thousands of individuals cross the channel who are, you, we don't know if they're murderers, rapists right. or, or whatever else? And, and they seemingly just shipped in where, where I live up in uh, in Staffordshire, there's yeah. a hotel full of full of these uh, people who've yeah. just been brought in. So, if we can be robust and keep her out. How come they can't be robust? And it's a very it? good
1: point. I mean, I made a joke rather uh, earlier when Kate Hoey was here. I said, well, perhaps what she'll do is if she can't come here legally and she can't have British citizenship, she just get on a dinghy. And, if,
6: and I mean, she'd be guaranteed to get a space in a hotel, wouldn't she? Yeah, absolutely. It, this is the craziness. And I think people looking at this, you know, you've got a very small minority who portray these people as, uh, you know, persecuted, fleeing from war. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, the war that's occurring in Calais, of course. Uh, and we're just sick to death of it. You know, the, the, the population is sick of it. Is this a turning point? We can only hope, but I I somehow doubt it because it just carries on. But certainly many people have said the
1: reason why she shouldn't be allowed back into this country is that she would actually be a potential terrorist threat. It's all very well, as you say, looking at her as this kind of, you know, woman who's turned over a new leaf and she's now sort of, you know, fashion clothes horse and she wears very nice glasses and her hair always looks great. For somebody in a refugee camp, I've never seen somebody who's so well turned out, you know, um... But you know, clearly she is dangerous. She has been dangerous. She's proven herself to be involved in the killing of innocent people.
6: Why on earth would we want her back? Well, the madness is, you see, the people. There is a lot on the left who will say, "Oh, she was sixteen; she was a child." They'll come out with all this nonsense. These are the same people who then tell you that at sixteen you should be able to vote. So you, it's either one thing or the other. Yeah. You know, you are either a child at sixteen. I was a soldier at sixteen. Mm. But well, you're either a child at 16 or you're not a, chi- you're not a child. Right. And the left seems to have great difficulties with that. It, it, it's always when it suits them. So yes. when, when she's, she's a victim, of so right child... It's for Greta
1: Thunberg to be telling us what to do when she's 15, but this woman didn't know what she was doing.
6: Of course. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly it.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely mad. Let's talk about what happened in Lancashire. Obviously, the terrible news uh, that broke late on Monday, um, or, or in fact it was before that, wasn't it? Um, before the weekend, the, the, the body that they had found was in fact... Um, Nicola Bully, Um, the police have come in for an awful lot of criticism. What's your take? I mean, obviously, you've written this piece saying that it's their fault that the Nicola
6: rumours were being fuelled by the police. Tell us about that. It's tragic, isn't it? I mean, particularly for the the partner, particularly the the children. Mm. Uh, But the whole investigation, the start of the investigation... When she she was classified as high risk uh, at, the, at the start of it seems to be done quite well in the sense of the out helicopters and drones, and then it seemingly went downhill in the sense that you know that things like the bench were not forensicated. She had a uh, uh, digital devices on her like keys and a Fitbit, which they, they didn't. The Lancashire Police, all the police forces, are very insular. They didn't call in experts to to, to to try and find those digital devices, uh, and then we had the fiasco of this uh, foldling, the search a uh, search expert, and he will claim well the police didn't give me all the facts why didn't they share all the facts but then again he searched nearby the trouble is with all this mm. of course a river we look at the river stretch and there's like if you look at the photograph there's there's, there's a whole straight river and then there's a set of bushes and, mm. and you only have to look at it to think where would you look but searching in a river is always difficult it's dirty grimy depends how deep it is yeah and bod and i made the t- i said at the time that the the tr- the Parallel case to this is a, is a case of Anthony Knott, who was a fireman who went missing, sadly, uh, after a Christmas due mm. uh, three years ago. His body was eight miles downstream 21 days later. Right. Nicola was found 22, 23 days later. This is how it works. Right. You know, you but she down. wasn't so far away as that. Wasn't, though, was she? She, she was only one mile away. And they've re- the police have now got to look at who was responsible mm. for searching that area of the river because it does seem inept yes. that she was just one mile away. And there's a set one set of reeds, yes. and it's no good the search experts saying oh, I was only told to search the river, not the reeds. Reed. Well, the, the reeds and the river are one thing, aren't they? And it just seems an entire mess. Yeah. And added to all this, added to all this is the fact that, firstly, the police told untrue to really. They they actually said that she was a Mrs. Average mum mm. looking after you know with the children. That was not true. Mm. Then they released a, a, a statement about a domestic incident, safety, which. Fuel rumours, yes. of course, that the that that other, other half was somehow involved in yeah. all this, and then because of that, they released all this information about a personal life, a personal problems. And my mother used to say, "There's some things that men don't need to know, and mm. there's some things that all of us didn't need yeah. to know, and we literally didn't need to do that, know that." And it was all released in so that the worst, the people who were really too bad in all this. Uh, I think the Lancashire Police uh, press office the way they've uh, been mistrustful of the media, they've not used the media uh, properly, they've accused the media of doing this, that, the media are are not just report things, Mm. the police have got to really look at how, they they
1: absolutely have and I think an awful lot of this will be the fault of the relationships breaking down generally speaking between the media and the police because Mike you'll know we both worked in uh, in, in, well I was in newspapers, you were an active police officer at the time when Media and the police had a very good relationship. You know, I'm talking sort of 20 years ago uh, when you could have a drink with somebody like yourself who worked. I mean, I used to drink with the Snow Hill guys all the time. You know, who are up at one of the police uh, operations up in sort of uh, Holborn, um, and you know they would they would talk about things. They weren't giving away any secrets. They would, but you would have the ability to kind of get information from people, and there was a certain level of trust that, you know, we could ask you something, you could tell us the answer, or you could tell us you couldn't tell us the answer, but you could give people a steer. It seems to me that now you've got police um, operations like the Lancashire Police, run by kind of people who don't understand what that relationship is all about. And somebody must have told the press office to release that information. Somebody must have made the decision that, oh, we better get this out there before somebody finds out that we've paid a visit to the House. But it it wasn't at all well handled, was it?
6: It was was handled very, very badly. I mean, in the Met, the press office used to be called the Department for Public Affairs, Mm. DPA, and we referred it as don't publish anything. They were just utterly dreadful individuals who, who hindered, hindered. And we always used to go around them anyway. Yeah, absolutely. You know. And what, what I would, I mean, me, I, I had my job was to get criminals identified. I needed the press on board. And I found if you said to a reporter, like, I'll tell you this, but you can't, if you publish it, I'll never give you anything again. People know the rules and, and that trust, it's been broken down. And what happens all the time is that the Leveson Inquiry, they bring in these uh, rules which are supposed to formalise things. Mm. And all it does is just mess up right. human relationships, which are beneficial for the public because more criminals are identified. You can you can say to a reporter, on a murder, when the when somebody is involved, you can say, "Can you ask this question in the press?" Yeah. When when the person appears, you, you can work together with the with the journalistic to, to get good results, and that's all been ruined, really.
1: It has because let's not forget that when they did issue that statement about the visit to the home, it was you know it was possible to misinterpret that in so many different ways because we were all asking the questions saying well what could have that what could that have been about was it about the welfare of nicola was it about the welfare of the children was it about the welfare of the husband or the, the partner nobody really knew so that kind of fueled also all the crazy people who were uh, thinking of themselves as a sort of TikTok detective turning up, which I've never seen anything like before.
6: Yeah, I mean I mean, this that's a phenomenon that's, that will grow and grow, we've just got to accept that will happen, but so many people of course will have seen real life murder cases yeah. where the, the husband or whatever appears on a stage crying, you know, uh, crocodile tears uh, uh, come home please, yes. and then a week later they're in handcuffs because they have, that, that person how many times have we seen that? So many different times, mm. you know, we have that, remember that that woman Tracy, somebody who yes. stabbed, stabbed her boyfriend to death. All the tears on the stage. I remember oh, that very well. You know, so the public will have seen that, and of course, the, we're all cynics. And you and you get a press release saying, "Oh, the police have been around there, domestic incident." Ah, no. and it's it was so badly handled. I just feel sorry for the family to to be thrust into the limelight. Who wants to go to the shop in the morning and see your loved one mm. on the front page of a paper because? You don't know where they are, and uh, it was. And what the other thing about the releasing of all that information, of course, is at that time uh, Nicola hadn't been found. Mm. And if she had just decided, life's too much, I'm going to disappear, I'm going to go and wherever. That release of information would have made it less likely, if she had been alive, to Mm. say, I'm coming home because of the actual embarrassment of it. So, operationally, it was just a really inept thing to do.
1: Right, and so presumably now they'll be involved in the coroner's um, investigation uh, in trying to find out what the cause of death was, what the time of death was, and really, until we get that information, it's impossible to sort of close it all down. Really,
6: right? yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know there's a, a sort of ten minute window where uh, no one knew where Nic- Nic- Nicola was or didn't see her. So there's just ten minutes they've got to account for. Of course, it's very difficult when a body's been in the water for, for so so long. But you have got these things like the Fitbits and things like then keys. Mm. Uh, if you remember that case with the uh, the Greek helicopter pilot who murdered his wife and then claimed Albanians had yes. broken the way that they could say that was untrue is because the iWatch had stopped, her heart had stopped beating. Right. A, 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 well, a this narrow, is it. I mean, there's so no all more, this, all there's more
1: technology now yeah. than there ever was, and so yeah. in some ways it should make the police's job easier, but... Police forces up and down the country seem to be making it more difficult for themselves. Well, the
6: trouble is, with the, the, the police can be very good, and there are lots. I've got to say, there are lots of good officers who are brave, mm. dedicated. Today, there'll be somebody facing a gun or facing a knife. There'll be lots of brave, dedicated officers. What it, what it is though, is the leadership. And if you look at things like the the Fitbit, the the, the keys, mm. the police are hopeless at digital. Uh, ev- they don't keep up, so they're fighting the digital uh, digital evidence war mm. with with, with bows and arrows yeah. and slingshots. You know, they just haven't got the technology and and that's down to one of the other enemies out in the police was the IT department mm. they were utterly they were scoundrels of the right. highest order you know right. they would rather stop people working because they had to do some work you know right. so it, it is so bad in the police that they don't have a grip mm. so criminals were, those keys for example that she had in a she should have in a pocket a criminal could sit outside your house on a laptop break into those keys mm. steal your car yeah but the police they don't they, know how they, they, do that. They,
1: they don't know how to do that's that. astonishing isn't it they need to hire a few um you know crooks crooks to actually sh- teach them how to do stuff <laughs> unbelievable uh, mike good to talk to you thank you very much Indeed, mike neville has got a piece in the sun today go and read it you can find it online uh, we'll put it out uh, from here as well coming up we'll take more of your calls though. 0344 499 03444991000 is the number this is talk tv
0: online on dab plus talk radio and talk tv
1: Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, Geraldine says this. If Shamima Begum came to the UK, she would be on the terror watch list for the rest of her life, along with around 39,000 other Islamist extremists currently under surveillance, costing the British taxpayer millions of pounds. Well, it did actually, it was revealed yesterday, I think, uh, that if Shamima Begum came back to this country, it would cost something in the order of a million pounds uh, per year just to monitor her if that was what was going to be done. Uh, other people think that she should have stood trial. Some people believe that it is our responsibility to put her on trial and then to punish her in our own way in this country. Um, I do not believe that. I think that uh, the Supreme Court has actually done the right thing by refusing her application to uh, get her British citizenship back. And I frankly don't care where she lives. People are saying, oh, it doesn't make Britain a very fair country if you don't look after your own citizens. Well, she has abrogated her responsibility as a British citizen. She's involved herself in a terrorist organisation, which is already a crime. Uh, if she was to be brought back to this country uh, to serve time and to stand trial, that would cost the taxpayer even more money. And I think most taxpayers would not wish to see that done. Uh, but let's talk to Chris Phillips now, former head of the National Counterterrorism Security Office, to see what he makes of the decision. Chris, a very good morning to you.
7: Good morning, Mike.
1: Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, I don't know whether you share my view on this, but I don't see why we should have responsibility for someone who has willfully left this country, joined up with a terrorist organisation willingly, uh, and then committed terrorist acts quite happily, uh, who now says, oh, I'm very sorry about that. I'd like to come back and live in Britain. No,
7: I'm in complete and utter agreement with you, I'm afraid, Mike. This may not be a a great interview because we're batting (laughs) off... uh, same wicket here that she she deliberately left this country at a time when there were regular uh, beheading videos and things everyone knew what ISIS were up to mm. uh, over in Syria and Iraq everyone knew that she knew that she decided to go uh, and what happened is she she's she doesn't like where she is now and she suddenly started making uh, and, and using PR people mm. uh, and other advisors to find ways of getting her back into the UK. And it's just not acceptable. No, I think anyone would think, Mike, that this is, you know, this is all over. ISIS are a thing of the past. They still exist. Uh, And there are lots of people that still follow their ideology.
1: Yes. And I mean, there are plenty of people, apparently, who have already been out to see ISIS and joined them in a slightly less, shall we say, high profile way than Shemima Begum, who have been let back into the country, which is also, for me, a ridiculously bad idea.
7: Yeah, I mean, a criminal justice system does not protect uh, people. That is as simple as that. Um, It would be lovely to think that people that are a risk to society, that are willing to blow people up and kill people, Mm. uh, would be locked away or at least dealt with in some way. But uh, that's not the case, unfortunately. Uh, And, you know, Shamima Vegan was talking about uh, the the attack in Manchester being justified. Loads of other people in this country feel the same. And, um, you know, if you listen to Mac Duke just a a week or so ago, you know, the threats of terrorism and terrorist attack are really real. And there's lots and lots of investigations ongoing at this moment.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we're told that at any given time, there are sort of thousands of investigations going on. um, And as they famously said in the IRA, they only have to be lucky once. We have to be lucky absolutely all the time. So we could do without importing any more, really. Thanks.
7: Yeah. And and the fact that, I mean, not that... Probably not that she would go and do anything herself again, but she she is a threat because of her views and what she's done and being a poster girl for this whole, these massacres that took place. This is not just, this is just not, uh, you know, some bad crime. This is people being thrown off buildings, people being burnt alive, girls being pushed into slavery, not her, by the way, but girls that she was actually uh, working against, uh, actually being put through, uh, you know, proper... Uh, pers- people trafficking and then put into slavery and, and she was all
1: part of that. Oh and she was she- and, well, and a very willing part of it as well and she was uh, involved in torturing people she helped her husband who's in prison in uh, the Netherlands to kill people she's admitted that in the past you know and she said that she has no regrets as well I mean it's all very convenient that she's now doing a podcast for the BBC she appears on the cover of, of, of magazines in this country uh, you know but no thank you I think she stays where she is and we never see her
7: again yeah, it's quite disgusting, actually, the amount of publicity this woman's had when you've got thousands of Yazidi uh, women that have been raped and uh, murdered, uh, have had nothing. And, and, and you know, it's we, we do live in a funny situation where these people are suddenly put up. You know, you can imagine, Mike, that in, in two years time, if she had been really uh, allowed back into this country, she'd be on Strictly Come Dancing, uh, you know, something ridiculous like that because of the way and yeah. media it's completely ridiculous it really
1: is and how much of a problem is um terrorism in this country and so you know when you were at the national counterterrorism security office um it is very difficult to monitor people because one of the things we always find out about if there is a terrorist attack is that at some point or other the subject or whoever carried out the attack was probably under uh, some watch scheme but then somehow left the watch scheme and weren't any longer being watched how does that all work
7: well if you if you give the security services and the police an impossible job to do then you're going to you're not going to be surprised when people get through the through the yeah. net you know there are an enormous number i mean 39,000 has been quoted across the UK that are a real concern mm. You follow the, or monitor that number of people. You don't. You have to you have to risk assess. You have to decide the people that are most likely to do something bad and then be lucky that you're absolutely right all the time. Because, listen, success is when nothing happens. Mm. You know, if, if you don't have any terrorist attacks, that's success. Yeah. But of course, the, what happens with the media and others is they forget about that and the public forget about that, that this is going on. In the background and um, you know there are some very very dangerous people in our society
1: yeah and I mean that's going to continue to be the case for quite a long time isn't it because we do seem to have this I mean, we've seen all the problems prevent ad where they seem to sort of think that some people had been cured in some way of their um, extremism when they clearly hadn't been you know we do have an unfortunate kind of habit of thinking that people can get better and that people can actually stop being horrible but the truth is if once you're horrible you're always horrible
7: Mike is even worse than that because we've now got people that have actually been convicted of serious terrorist uh, offences uh, are being released back into society completely, mm. not you know still radicalised, uh, and the fact that they've done something once is just going to make them far more likely to go and do it again, and and we've seen that we've seen that in uh, uh, in in on London Bridge, we've we've seen that in Streatham where people that are almost immediately they've been released from prison go off and do it again. They've, they've got no desire not to be radicalised and, you know, we're, we're it's a very, very dangerous situation.
1: Yeah, it really is. Well, Chris, look, I'm really glad to, uh, we got the chance to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Chris Phillips the former head of National Counter-Terrorism Security uh, here in the UK. He now runs uh, the thing called the International Protect and Prepare Security Office because, you know, he knows better than anybody uh, how dangerous Shamima Begin would be if she came back to this country, whether she decided to kind of, you know, abandon her terrorist roots or not. She would still be very much a poster girl uh, for extremists, and she would be somebody uh, that would be looked upon as a bit of a kind of celebrity terrorist, which is some- not something that we should be enjoying or employing in any way, shape, or form i 'm um, very glad that she 's been denied the right to have her citizenship back in this country and i 'm very happy that she 's going to stay where she is and I think most sensible people would say exactly the same thing oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. We'll come back with some more of your calls and much, much more. This is Talk TV.
0: Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
1: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Don't miss exclusive radio commentary coming up of Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury on TalkSport this Sunday night. Listen to TalkSport on DAB, uh, download the app or via TalkSport.com uh, that is this Sunday night of course right here on our network. Talk Sports uh, coming up uh, we're going to speak to Hamish Bretton Gordon. Just before that a couple of tweets and texts for you. Uh, one here uh, from uh, Ebenezer who says can Britain now use the same judge that refused traitor Shemima Begum to return to the UK to get the migrants on a plane to Rwanda. Uh, Well, that might work. Ollie says the idea anyone needs to panic around the availability of tomatoes boggles the mind. If someone can't go a few weeks without tomatoes, they need to give their head a wobble. Uh, And a couple more on Shemima Begum. David says, uh, don't forget, if she came here, it would cost us millions of pounds a year for her security, housing, welfare, etc. She's already cost us millions in legal costs. And Linda says, I'm so glad she's been denied her citizenship. She can now get on with the rest of her life in a Muslim country where their ideology is more in line with hers. Uh, Well, certainly she's in a refugee camp somewhere, I think, on the Syria-Iraq border which can't be a very pleasant place to be, but then she doesn't deserve to be in a particularly pleasant place, does she? 0344 499 1000. Let's talk now uh, to former British Army colonel and chemical weapons expert, Hamish de Breton Gordon. Hamish, a very good morning to you. Um... Yesterday, uh, we saw quite a big number of sort of developments. We saw Vladimir Putin's two-hour speech in which he blamed the West for uh, the invasion of Ukraine and said it was all their fault. Basically, he said that uh, Russia was simply defending uh, its history, defending its way of life, defending its culture. Um, basically, trying to convince his uh, his home audience, I suppose, that that, uh, that Russia was in some way in danger. Joe Biden then made a big speech in Warsaw. Um, he was in Ukraine the other day. Um, there does seem to have been a lot of activity this week and what, what do you think it's sort of aimed at where, where, where do you think it's got us
8: well I think there are a number of things Mike and thanks very much for for having me on we've got the 12 month the year anniversary coming up on Friday and I think first of all with Putin I mean his two-hour rant yesterday you know it's not the sort of um things that he was saying that you'd want to hear from a or cratic dictator who has enough nuclear weapons to destroy the planet. Mm. Some of the stuff he's saying there about uh, pulling out of nuclear treaties, um, potentially to start testing his nuclear again. So very much, as you say, for his home audience. And I think also for the, the henchmen, the strongmen around him who are probably keeping him in power. Conversely, Biden, after his trip to Kiev this week, really stating again that the US and NATO is absolutely full score behind Ukraine and we must enable Ukraine to prevail because uh, if we don't, there could be even worse problems uh, down the line. So I think it is a very important week uh, where Russia military conventionally is failing. Ukraine is getting the upper hand and during all of this conflict, Putin has always wave the nuclear flag, really to try and keep NATO out. But that thus far has failed.
1: And does it inevitably lead to NATO becoming more involved? Because, I mean, Joe Biden said yesterday that, you know, NATO has never been more united. It's never been stronger. It's never been um, uh, a more kind of powerful organisation. He mentioned Finland and Sweden as well wanting to join. You know, it feels as though he's sort of ratcheting up um, the, the rhetoric from, from NATO's side as well.
8: Well, I I think so. I think it's absolutely essential that uh, uh, Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine is not allowed to prevail. Mm. Uh, It is key that uh, the West and NATO shows a very strong arm. The reason I think that Putin invaded in the first place a year ago is that he thought NATO was weak. He thought that NATO would do nothing, you know, which was fair enough because we did very little to help people in Syria um, who were also Uh, under attack from not only their own regime, but also the Russians. Mm. So it was our fault. And it's taken us 12 months to get to a position where we are saying no, this sort of uh, illegal adventurism by the Russians will not be tolerated. And uh, we will protect uh, Ukraine because, you know, I'm of the the group who agree that uh, Ukraine would not be the end of it. Um, So we have got to be resolute. And we've also got to be resolute on the nuclear issue. Um, I still think, despite what Putin is saying, that it is unlikely that uh, Putin will go nuclear in Ukraine. But we have all been assuming, I think, for the last 12 months that Putin will not go nuclear. And it might sound rather counterintuitive, but I think we should assume that he will go nuclear and plan against it so that um, Putin realizes that we're serious here and in a sort of double bluff. But we mustn't allow his threats, you know, every month of dirty bombs, nuclear Mm. attack, chemical attack, biological attack to make us waver and uh, not continue to support Ukraine until the end.
1: Quite. A lot of people think as well, Hamish, that there's going to be some kind of activity militarily on Friday because uh, Russia believes quite a lot in these kind of anniversaries, and it's a one-year anniversary, as you say. Um, certainly some people in Kiev are worried that there might be an attack launched. Um, is that a, a, a sort of a, a verifiable threat, if you like?
8: Well, I'm, I'm not sure that the um, that the intelligence coming out of the Donbass and elsewhere are necessarily indicating some great thrust. I don't think the Russians have the combat power to do it. Ukraine has done a fantastic job thus far with Western weaponry, tipping the balance. We know that the armor, we know the tanks are gonna be due in combat in in a few weeks time. And that again, will tip the balance. Uh, Sadly, I expect the Russians will try and do something spectacular on Friday. No doubt it'll be a whole host of missiles aimed at Kyiv and other major cities in Ukraine. And let's hope those air defenses that have done such a good job thus far um, carry on doing it. Uh, but as far as anything more than that, uh, be it uh, a, a major thrust in the Donbass or, or up from Crimea, I don't really see that. The intelligence isn't there. And I think it really goes back to my, my beginning piece here that the, you know, Putin is, is getting into a tight corner. He is losing. His options are getting less and less. And Ukraine is only getting more powerful and hopefully, we can enable, we, the West, can mm. enable Ukraine to prevail uh, this summer, get the Russians out of their country, then we can have a peace and start to rebuild this country, which has absolutely been flattened by the Russians.
1: Yeah. As oh, it's been pummeled, well. it? Absolutely pummeled. Is there a danger that China um, might sort of find themselves moving closer to Russia, though, in, in this kind of you know world game of chess, if you like?
8: Uh, absolutely, Mike. I think the Chinese dynamic is is absolutely key to this and as important. And uh, I think we heard uh, news today and yesterday that senior Chinese officials are in Moscow and Biden's made it absolutely clear, I think, to Beijing that, uh, you know, any advanced weaponry given to the Russians by the Chinese would be uh, tantamount to China getting into bed with Russia. And I'm sure that the Americans have the influence of the Chinese, not least because the Chinese uh, economy is is almost entirely based on the on the US market, but China is a key issue here. We know China is tripling its holdings of uh, nuclear warheads um, to a size to compare with the UK and France, not not at the levels of Russia and uh, and the US. But it is very important that uh, they stay out of this, and uh, I am sure that Biden is making it very clear. The Chinese that uh, that would not be tolerated. But you're absolutely right; they are a key player. And then staying out thus far has made sure that uh, this hasn't expanded outside the sort of Ukraine um, theatre of operations. Uh, and that's how it should remain. And I hope that you know the Americans and the NATO allies are also making that clear to the Chinese.
1: No, of course. Hamish, thank you very much indeed. Hamish, to Bretton Gordon, former British Army colonel, chemical weapons expert as well, saying that there is a Chinese dynamic to these uh, negotiations or this situation now uh, with Ukraine, and it has got to be very, very closely monitored, of course. Coming up, we're going to have Prime Minister's questions. Uh, Rishi Sunak versus Sir Keir Starmer. Let's have uh, a couple of calls first. Shaz is in Birmingham. Hi, Shaz. Yeah, hello, sir. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. What can I do for you?
4: Yeah, I just wanted to uh, talk about Shamina Shabee- Begum. Okay. Yeah, um, and my personal thoughts are, like, there's so much hatred in the world. What we should do is bring Shamina Begum back, not because of what she's done, but so the MI5 and the government can get intelligence from her, put in a secure unit, gather all the intelligence so we can protect ourselves from ISIS mm. in the future.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it may well be that that would be beneficial, but they could do that, presumably, by just going out to see her, couldn't they?
4: Well, they could, but then again, Syria's a dangerous place at the moment, especially with earthquakes and ISIS, that's like, with ICE main bases. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not think- sure.
1: What do you think we could learn from her, though? Because, I mean, I think...
4: A heck of a lot, because she's lived with ISIS, because she's... Um, Like, joined IC, she's got so much intelligence Mm. that the government and the MI5 can use so we can protect people of this country and other countries. Yeah,
1: she might even be able to identify some people that she knows who are back here,
4: exactly. Do you know what I mean? And and I don't, you know, if we do that, I mean, so many people's lives could be saved. Mm. Obviously, she was 16, she was stupid, she was an idiot, right. But she was very young and naive, and she thought the world was an oyster. Yeah. But why not why not use that against her? Why not get the intelligence and protect ourselves? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a good thought, Shaz. I would not want to do it purely and simply because it would cost us too much money, but it's an interesting one. Uh, We'll put that out to the general public to see what it is uh, that they think of that. Shaz says we should bring her back here, uh, put her in a secure unit, um, perhaps not even without uh, having a trial, um, and then just get information from her about ISIS. The Home Office have issued this statement, by the way, uh, which is this. We are pleased that the court has found in favour of the government's position in this case. Uh, The government's priority remains maintaining the safety and security of the UK and we will robustly defend any decision made in doing so and I think uh, that pretty much says it all
4: Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
1: If you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app If you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or
0: tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio
3: hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter